Okay. So where we are is we've already discussed the seven ministries. Well, we're talking about the seven ministries of the Spirit, and we've already discussed the well. The first one was common and efficacious grace. Now, common grace is the grace uh, that the Holy Spirit provides to everyone, uh, even unbelievers. This is, and He just comes and convicts the world of sin and righteousness and of judgment. He's been doing this since the beginning of time. So we call that common grace. And efficacious grace is where, even though um, we believe in Christ, the Holy Spirit makes that belief effective for salvation. And so that's important to note. And we're going to use the board because we're going to continue with uh, uh, the filling of the Spirit. But after we did common grace, we went to... uh, Regeneration, and which is commonly uh, known as being born again, and we discuss what it means to be born again or regenerated by the Spirit, and that's good to understand because uh, that's the first thing that we need to think about when we are saved. Because Jesus told Nicodemus, "Except a man is born of the water and the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God." So it's of utmost importance that we understand what it means to be born from above. So we went there. And then the second, the third ministry that we dealt with is, um, which was the indwelling of the Spirit. And the indwelling, in fact, we want to record all of these sessions because we're going to eventually put them on the website. So anytime you need to go back and look at uh, indwelling, what was the scriptures, and what was that all about, you're going to have the, the audio portion right there to... To refresh your memory, and to you know, so indwelling is very important because our bodies. We really discussed this pretty good last week because our bodies are a temple, but it's not a temple just because. But there's a purpose for why we are a temple, and that's good. That's where we want to be, uh, understanding that purpose. And then the fourth thing is where we are tonight: the filling of the spirit. Now, um, this is really. Uh, where we have to focus on now because how do we live the Christian way of life is the question. How do we live the Christian way of life? Now let me just put a couple things on the board. The filling of the Spirit. Now we will focus on what scriptures that are dealing with this and this is Ephesians 5.18 and we'll also look at Galatians uh, 5.16 So Ephesians 5.18 Galatians 5.16 with reference to the filling of the Spirit but we just have some introductory remarks that we want to think about as we, we talk about this doctrine it's really interesting because when we talk about filling, what do we mean, filling? Uh, why don't we turn to the passage and then we'll at least have that in front of us. Ephesians 5, verse 18. And so far, let's see. What's up there, Dinky Boone? All right. We're just right there in Ephesians chapter 5, 18. And it says, Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. Short verse, but boy, does it have a lot of meaning. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery, uh, but be filled with the Spirit. Now, this is a command. We have to recognize that it is, in fact, a command of God. Now you will notice, if it's a command, that it must bear or impress upon our free will. We have a choice as to whether or not we will be filled with the Spirit or not. For instance, we learned in the indwelling that there, there is no choice in the matter. 
We are simply indwelt the moment we believe in Christ. The Holy Spirit takes up residence in our bodies. Or, for instance, we talked about uh, um, not only the indwelling, but we talked about regeneration. Right? The moment you believe in Christ, you are regenerated. You are born from above. There's no nothing that says, okay, now that you're saved, now you have to be born again. <laughs> you know, it's not a second step. That's an automatic thing. And you never read in the Bible where it says, pray that you might be born again. Or pray that you might be indwelt with the Spirit. How come? Because that's an automatic thing that happens for every Christian. We talked about the indwelling from the standpoint of once a person is indwelt by the Spirit, then they they have that forever. And we read the scriptures on it that talks about it's permanent. We talked about how the Old Testament, they, it was not permanent. You know, they could lose the, the, the indwelling. Of, and actually, they didn't have indwelling. We, we separated that out and said that was endowment, what they had. What, what is that? The Spirit will come upon certain believers or, you know, for, for power, you know, for, to accomplish a purpose. Prophets, priests, kings, you know, to do a certain thing. And then after the, the Holy Spirit was done... He could leave. The Holy Spirit might leave a person for sin, because of sin. Which is why David prayed, Do not take, please do not take your Holy Spirit from me. But in this New Testament, what we have under grace, that it cannot happen. Because Jesus says that the Holy Spirit will be with us, and He will be in us, and He would abide with us forever. And we said that is permanent. So, and again, we don't ask to be indwelt with the Spirit. There's nothing in the Scriptures that tell us to ask to be indwelt. But we do see a command to be filled with the Spirit. Now, that impresses on our volition. We have a choice to make. Will you be filled or will you not be filled? Now, we have to say, first of all, the filling of the Spirit is the normal Christian life. I'm going to put that on the board because it's important. It's the normal... Christian life. And what do I mean by that? I mean simply to say that the Holy this this is a state that we are to be in. We ought to be filled with the Spirit normally as a Christian. Now when you are not filled with the Spirit, that, that means there's a problem. There is a problem. You are malfunctioning in your spiritual life if you are not filled with the Spirit. Okay, so then we have to understand that the filling of the Spirit is an influence. Let's make sure we understand that. We can go right back to our verse to to illustrate that. Verse Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 18. Do not get drunk on wine. What is getting drunk on wine? Anybody here ever been drunk? No, don't answer that. Okay. I'm sure maybe somebody has, but that's what we want to focus on is everybody has seen someone who's drunk. Right, and, and when you see somebody's drunk, sometimes it's kind of funny, isn't it? Because they do things that just kind of outlandish. They may say things that are a little bit outlandish. Why? Now, when that person is normal and operating under their their sense, let's say, they wouldn't do some of these things. They wouldn't act the way they act. Um, and we we look at that and say, oh my goodness, you know, we can clearly see that that person is drunk. You know. So comedians play people that are drunk. And what do they do? They slur their speech, stagger around, you know, and and that's supposed to be funny. Well, it is to some people. They look at that. So the point is, is that when a person is drunk, they're not themselves. They're operating under an influence. In fact, that's even what they say, don't they? When you're drinking alcohol, right? They say, well, you are under the influence. And you're not supposed to be driving while under the influence. What is that called? Do you... DUI, driving while under the influence. So, so there's, there's a, an influence that is controlling you when you drink alcohol. Do you know that? Well, not, not just drink alcohol, because there's no sin in drinking alcohol. But if drunkenness, or, you know, you know is, is actually a sin, we have to make sure we don't um, get to the point where we drink and allow ourselves to be uh, in a drunken state. That's, that's sinful. Why? Because now our sin nature is going to be influencing us and not the divine nature, the righteous nature that we have. 
So, so we have to see, and I'm just focusing on the influence part first. So we need to know that the filling of the Spirit is an influence over us. Now, it, it, when I say over us, it comes from within us because that is uh, where the Holy Spirit resides. We are, we, be, we are filled with the Spirit, meaning that we are influenced by the Spirit's desires. So that means it's not our desires, it's not what we think and what we want. If we're filled with the Spirit, that means we're yielding to His influence. Now, obviously, when, it, when drunkenness is the, is the question, you don't have a choice. You do whatever the alcohol and whatever your mind, your sin nature tells you to do. That's why people who are drunk sometimes are very belligerent. They are very abusive and, and uh, rash and cold in what they say. Very sh- their tongues are very sharp because they have no ambitions. Nothing's holding them back. No, no reason. There's no gate. So whatever comes up, they lay it out there. Sometimes it's very raw. People don't like that. I don't like it. I don't like to be around people who are drunk. You know, because it, 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 I don't see anything productive in you know, being around the person and they're drunk. I, I just don't see anything that's beneficial for me there. Yeah, I'm not even reasoning with that person. I can have a conversation with that person and that person says, well, I don't even remember. <laughs> So what good was it? You can't hold them to what they say, you know, and they're not even accountable. But you know what, though? Today, we are holding people accountable for what they do when they're under the influence. You can't say, hey, I was drunk. <laughs> you, can't, you can't get me. Well, yes, we can. People are going to jail who are drinking and driving and causing accidents and killing people. That's manslaughter. You, just, you decided to, to allow yourself to be under that influence. You chose that. So you have to be responsible for your actions. So, so notice that the Holy Spirit, and, and this command that we ought to be filled with the Spirit, is referring to an influence. He uses being drunk with wine to show us that there is an influence that can lead us more into obeying our sin nature. And there is an influence that can lead us to being more being controlled or influenced by the Holy Spirit. Which one do you want to do in your life? Well, as I said, as a Christian, if you're a believer in Christ, you're saved. Because obviously, people who are saved can only receive these ministries. Certainly, unbelievers cannot be filled with the Spirit. That is impossible. Unbelievers cannot be indwelled. Unbelievers are not born again. It never would happen. Never could happen. Only believers. So now, that's why I say this is the normal Christian life. This is where God wants you to be. He wants you to be filled with the Spirit. It's a state that you ought to be in. And we're going to say what happens during that state. But we just need to establish that when you're filled with the Spirit, this is the normal Christian life. And we have to note another point. That when we're talking about what is the normal Christian life, that there it demands that we have something. I'm going to use a different color here. There is a power that is associated with living the Christian life. There's a power. That means you, to live the Christian life, you must be influenced or controlled by means of the Spirit. If you're not, then you are not living under the power and executing under the power of the Holy Spirit. You're executing the Christian life under the power of the sin nature, which God will never accept. He will never accept. So you need a certain kind of power. How do you get that power? Well, you get filled with the Spirit. And that influence now is over you, motivating you to do and act according to God's will. There's a power involved in that. Just like with the example I keep going back to with the drunkenness, there is a power that is over that person. He's not himself. He's Whatever he does, well, you know, he did it and all, but... There's, there's, there's an influence, a power that is actually over him that is influencing him to act a certain way. And in the same way, un, when, what God is trying to do is influence you to act according to your righteous nature. That's what he's trying to do. And there's power involved in that. So it, it's not just like, well, you know, I'm just going to live the Christian life on my own. No, you can't. Because what you have, you don't have the power to, in order to live the Christian life. And we say it this way. 
The Christian way of life is a supernatural way of life. It is a supernatural way of life. And it demands a supernatural power to execute that life. Demands it. So, in other words, nobody can do what believers can do. Why? Because believers are operating under the power of God. Unbelievers can't operate under the power of God because they're not saved. They don't even have the option of operating under the power of God. Only believers. But believers can choose not to operate under the power of God. We're going to discover what short-circuits this power. And we're going to talk about how you get it back. All of that is important for us to know how to walk as Christians. How to conduct ourselves in this world. You need that power. You need, and you know what? You, it, it's just like if you know that in the morning, to get you going, you need what? Well, some people do. Some people who are hooked on coffee. They need, they need that boost in the morning, right? They need that sugar to get their system going. And they really feel alive and awake, that caffeine. There's a certain power. And that gets them up and going. So what if, what if that per, same person took... Um, the pow- took the coffee that they drink in the morning, and of course they have a nice sweet uh, co- cake. You know, all this boosted blood sugar levels and gets them going. So what if they took that in the morning? You know, their car was low on gasoline, and they just dumped the um, the coffee in the gas tank and shoved the uh, the pastry or whatever to eat right in the gas tank. What would happen? <laughs> Why not? The problem there is obvious. Because cars take a different sort of uh, fuel, right? That, this is fuel for, for us, certainly. But the fuel that cars need is gasoline. And if you don't put the right fuel, you're going to have big problems. In the same way, when it comes to the Christian way of life, if you don't have the right power to execute this supernatural way of life, you're not going to be executing the spiritual life. That's the first thing. Just not going to be there. So how important is that? You have to learn how to operate under divine power. If you miss that, you could be trying to execute the Christian way of life from your sin nature, human power. So you can't put sugar in a gasoline tank. In fact, people put sugar in a tank to destroy the engine. And that's what it would do. Right? Malicious people, they do that. But, but some people are trying to mix the sugar of uh, human works and human understanding and human energy into the spiritual life. And it makes a wreck of your spiritual life the same way. So I'm only identifying and laying it out here for you so that you can learn these terms and how important they are. Because just like you have to be born again, which is a state, once you're born again, you don't ever fall from that. Once you're into what with the Spirit, you can never fall from that. It doesn't depend on your behavior. But this does depend on your behavior. This is now where the rubber hits the road for you. Either you understand these principles and begin to execute your life through using these principles, or you don't. And if you don't, then you will not fulfill the plan of God for your life. Some people wonder, why am I short-circuited? What's the problem? I keep trying hard to to live the Christian way of life, but I, I feel like I'm just never able to cut it. You might want to look at this doctrine. This could be the answer to why you keep failing and there's no power in your life because this power, you're operating on human power and not divine power. Now, just imagine. Is there anything in your life that God does not have enough power to, you know, to cause you, to transform you from that? Can He deliver you from any sin, any bondage, any stronghold? Does God have enough power to do that? Absolutely. And I don't know anybody who says the opposite. Oh no, now that sin God certainly can't deliver you from. Or that stronghold. I don't know anybody that I've talked to that would confess that. Because why do we say it? Because we know that the power of God is far more powerful than anything Satan can have. Or this world or the flesh. You know, None of that is any, any match for what God has. So we know that there's no power. But yet... What, we, what, what, what short-circuits us is our free will is given to the sin nature. So we basically give away our power position so that we try to operate on it. It's like you got this fancy car. 
I mean, and I don't know too much about cars. Let's say it has a 12-cylinder engine and it has a Hemi in it. Is that, is that real good? <laughs> and has all these different things, right? And you're just sitting there, man, this is a great car. Look at this car, man. And it can go from zero to 300,000 miles an hour. And you're sitting there looking at this car and the person says, let's get in and take it for a ride. You say, okay, you get in. And they close the door and you run around the back and you start pushing. You know, the person's sitting there and he's like, well, what's going on? He said, I'm giving you a ride. And he's just pushing and he's just sweating. That's what it's like. See, you can't run with that car. You need to get the key, turn that ignition, boom, let that engine go on, and then you can roll with that car. I mean, and then it goes, and it goes fast. So the power that is needed is already there. You are just trying to use the, the energy of the flesh in order to, to live the Christian way of life, and that will never, ever work. Okay. So I think that point is made. Let's move on to the next thought. So in Ephesians 5.18 it says, Do not get drunk with wine, which leads to... This is 5.18. It leads to debauchery or dissipation. Right? Excess. That's what that means. And uh, debauchery is one of those words that re- it, it relates to the sin nature. It, it is in the word of excess. It is the opposite of the spirit. What is the spirit? The Spirit leads you to self-control. Debauchery is the opposite of self-control. What is the opposite of um, self-control? Indulgence. Debauchery. Excessiveness. And when you drink too much wine, you've crossed over into that area. Excessiveness. That's what drunkenness is. And, and, And everything you do, you're going to be controlled by that nature. That lower nature. Instead... So now you have a choice. Instead, be filled. Now that word filled, don't let it fool you into thinking that it, I mean, like a cup needs to be, it's half full and then you just have to fill the cup up. You know, it's referring to influence. Okay? Be filled or influenced by means of the Spirit. Now go back, now we want to look at uh, Galatians. There's a, there's a sister scripture, I might call it. And the way I always remember these is Galatians uh, 5.16, Ephesians. They're both in chapter 5, but one's in verse 16 and one's in verse 18. So it's Ephesians 5.18, Galatians 5.16. That's easy to remember. And if you remember these two, you'll always have a good understanding. And there's a lot of other scriptures, and I've already talked about a lot of other things. But, and we're, we will, but these two main ones give us the, 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 the general scriptures for being filled with the Spirit. So now, verse 16, Galatians chapter 5 says, So I say, live by the Spirit. Live by the Spirit. Now, of course, you might be looking for something to say, um, be filled with the Spirit. That's what you might be looking for something to say. But we're, this word here, live by the Spirit, is the same you know, that we're, we're referring to. How do you live by means of the Spirit? Well, you have to first be filled with the Spirit. Being filled is a state that we find ourselves in. It's a state. But when it says live by the Spirit, it's referring to uh, the condition or how we function under that state. Right? We're not just sitting there saying, okay, I'm filled with the Spirit. Well, what do you do when you're filled with the Spirit? Well, here it is. 16. So I say, live by the Spirit. And that word live is an old uh, word here. In, um, in the King James it says, walk by the Spirit. And walk, and the word actually in the Greek is peripateo. And that is a literal translation for walk. To walk means how you conduct yourself in this life. So it is a good translation to say, to live. So then I say, live, walk, conduct yourself by means how? There's a power by which we walk, conduct ourselves, live. And what is it? By means of the Spirit. There's the power to live the Christian life. It is the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, you you certainly can't fail. If you are under the power of God, you cannot fail. How can I say that? Because lots of people are failing all around us. We fail sometimes, don't we? 
But every time we do, it is because we are not allowing ourselves to be led or, or, or we're not yielding to that power. The power is there, it's like we, but we got out and we tried to push the car instead of jumping in the car and riding. And it says that very much thing right here. It says the very same thing. Live by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the sinful nature. So if you conduct yourself by means of the Spirit or yield to the, the power or influence of the Spirit, then what? What will happen? You will definitely not. Now this is, it says you will not. And I, and I believe this is strong in the sense that it's a double negative here. So you will definitely not, should be translated, gratify the desires of the sinful nature. There is absolutely no question that if you yield yourself to the power of the Spirit, the Holy Spirit will influence you to walk according to your righteous nature. And in your righteous nature, there is no sin. You cannot sin when you are operating from your righteousness, the nature that God has provided for you. Which says, and I just want to show you, before we go there, I'm just going to turn to Ephesians chapter uh, 4. And it's 23, just to make sure we understand. To be made new, for Ephesians 4.23, to be made new in the attitude of your minds and to put on, this is 24, the new self. Put on it. Now you are, it's not like you don't have the new self. You have to have the new self for you to get a command to put it on. See, just like if I said, uh, put on the, the suit that you have in your closet. Well, you already have the suit. All you have to do is put it on. That means conduct yourself according to it. And again, that's another command to be filled with the Spirit. Created to be like God. Now, that's the only thing in you that you have that is like God. After tr In true righteousness and holiness. That's the new self. That's the real you that God created when He took you out of that sin nature. And, he, and he, he connected you to Christ, which is a true, true nature. This is who you are, but not everybody has the full understanding of that. We are walking around still thinking we're in Adam. Still thinking we, we must gratify the deeds of the flesh. In fact, if you look at prior to this, it tells you, verse 22, you were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self. That means, that, in other words, the sin nature, which is there as well, because even though you've been separated from it, it is no longer your nature. You and your mind think that you're still connected to that. So what do you do? You continue to, come to function according to what the dictates of your sin nature. But, but Paul is telling you, hey, put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful Desires. The sin nature cannot be tamed. It cannot be trained. It cannot be re recovered or, or rehabilitated. It is absolutely corrupt. Anytime you get involved with the sin nature, it is up to no good. You can trust that. You know, it's like so, some friends some people have. You know, they, they, they are all right until they get along around a crowd that is bad. And when they get around that bad crowd, what happens to them is they become influenced by that crowd to do things that they normally would not do. And this is bad because your sin nature is like that. It cannot be trained. I mean, you're not hanging around your sin nature to reform it. <laughs> Basically, you need to put it away, Paul said. Because there's nothing in your sin nature. I mean, absolutely nothing that God can use in your spiritual life. In fact, it is pulling you the opposite. It's pulling you away from your spiritual life. So don't, don't try to mix up the two. You know, this is the person who says, well, I'm only going into the bar to witness to people. Oh, okay. All right. So they end up getting drunk another night, coming out of staggering out of the bar because they were going to witness to somebody. And the next night they have the same thought. Yeah, well, you know, I didn't catch him last night and I'm just going in there to witness to, to my buddies over there. And it's not the case at all. Stay away. I'm not trying to say stay away from the book. What I'm trying to say is, this, I'm using this as an analogy to say, don't play around with the sin nature. It is up to no good. Be filled with the Spirit. Back to Galatians chapter 5. verse. We were, we were at verse 17, I believe. Okay. So Galatians 5, it says, so I say, 16, so I say, live 
conduct yourself by means of the Spirit. And you will not, definitely not, gratify the desires of the sinful nature. The sinful nature has desires. It has a draw upon you. This is another important point. See, because the Holy Spirit is what God gives you so that, you know, He doesn't tell you, okay, you, you now are saved and you're righteous. Now I want you to live your life according to these principles. <laughs> he doesn't just tell you that because guess what? You've been living your life under the sin nature the whole time. And your desires and your thoughts and your cravings are all in the realm of the sin nature. So that sin nature has a pull upon your soul. It's not just over there saying, hey, you can do this if you want to. No, it tells you, come, come, do this. Right? It tempts you. And that temptation is a pull on your soul. It's an actual uh, drawing you out from your position and getting you to obey its lusts, its desires. So that's what the sin nature does. So that draw, that desire, that pull that comes from the sin nature, what ends up happening is God has an also a, a draw to get you to walk according to righteousness. And what is that? That draw, that desire, that, that pulling you along, right? That bidding you to come is the filling of the Spirit. So just like you were, you know, you, so you can't really say to God, okay, God, you saved me, but I don't feel like doing what's right. I mean, I, I came from Adam and that's all I want to know. That's all I do know. No, what you understand now is that you uh, are now given a new nature. That's the first thing. And that new nature comes with new power. And that new nature also comes with the desire that it causes you to want to do righteousness. To, that causes you to yearn to fulfill all righteousness. That, that, that comes built in the nature uh, of the, just like it came built in the old nature. So the sin nature came with all of his desires, its lusts. The new righteous nature comes for you to have a desire to fulfill all righteousness. That's why it says, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Or it says, God rewards those who diligently seek him. Or it says, It is God who is at work in you both to will and to do His good pleasure. Now that will means that He's going to help you with this desire part. Where you don't feel like doing the will of God. God is saying, you know what, I'm coming in and I'm going to come alongside you and I'm going to help you to motivate you to do what is good. And see, that, that we need that, don't we? That's an important part. So, so that's a, interesting to note when we deal with the filling of the Spirit. It is, not only is it the power to live the Christian way of life, but it is the motivation to walk according to truth. Where we get all that from? The verse here. And it says, For if you will definitely not fulfill the lust of the flesh. So the lust of the flesh may be pulling and tugging at you. But God says if you walk according to this power, well, you will not listen or fulfill those lusts that come from the sin nature. Is that clear? Does that make sense? We need to read it again because... Some people don't believe this. They think, well, yeah, you can't, if you're tempted, well, you, you can't, um, you know, say, say no to that. You can't be driven to, you know, to, to righteousness. And, and when sin comes, you know, you're not even paying attention to it. But this verse says, yeah, that if you do walk or live under the power, the filling of the Spirit, you will definitely not gratify. Gratify means uh, quench or satisfy the desires of the sin nature. That's what it means. And you, you will definitely not do that. And what, it takes power in order to break you from that, that pattern of the desires of the sin nature that you have. It takes a power, and the power comes from God. It doesn't come from your determination to say, I'm going to make sure I don't do that again. No, it comes from you getting under the influence of the Holy Spirit. He's the one with the power who will compel you to live the Christian life. Okay? So let's look at um, the next phrase here. Um, verse 17. For the sinful nature, this is pretty much saying what we already know and what we just discussed. The sinful nature desires what is contrary to the Spirit. In other words, the two, the sin nature 
and the motivation of the Spirit to get you to walk according to your righteous nature are in conflict with one another. They are two divergent ideas. One is, it's just like two people are trying to talk to you at the same time. Who, who do you listen to? And you're getting confused. You're like, well, this person's talking to me and this person's talking to me. I, I, hold on, both of you stop for a minute because it's too confusing. Or it's like uh, two people, you know, one is pulling you one way and another is pulling you another way. Which way do you go? Well, these, the sin nature and the spirit, are in conflict with one another. They, so that you do not do what you want. So remember, you know, your influence. So that, why does it say you not do what you want? A lot of times I've read that and said, what does that mean? Why does it say you can't do what you want? Because I can do what I want, right? Can I? What it means here is that you, when it says you cannot do what you want, it means that you have to understand that when you are in this world, you are either under the influence of one of these forces or the other. Okay, That's, that's what it is. One of these forces or the other. Now, it is not about you doing what you want. You, now, hopefully you want to do what is according to the righteous nature. The sin nature is going to come in and get you all discombobulated and get you operating under its power so that you will not do what you want. You will not be able to accomplish it. So, so that's what that, ver- that verse actually means. Now let's watch it. It says, um, uh, verse 17, For the sinful nature desires what is contrary to the spirit, and the spirit what is contrary to the sin nature. So we know they're enemies, they're antagonistic, and they are in conflict with each other so that you do not do what you want. But if you are led by the Spirit, now that led by the Spirit, again, it helps us to understand reality, the reality that this this is an influence that is over us. Now you know what? Led by the Spirit, who's in control? Who's in control here? You or God the Holy Spirit? God the Holy Spirit. Now, if you're being led by somebody, don't you have to follow? You ever have to follow somebody in the car? And same way, they're leading the way and all you can do is make sure that you follow wherever they turn. They turn right, what do you have to do if you're following them? You've got to turn right. They turned around, they made a wrong mistake, what do you have to do? Oh man, I guess we don't know where we are. i got to turn around. So, the Holy Spirit is leading us we are following the Spirit. That's what's key. We have to follow. And that takes humility. That means that you have to submit. Right? And you're not going to follow anybody unless you submit. And that, that's just a matter of humility. So we have to see that the... In, and again, it refers back to the influence of the Spirit. If He's trying to influence you, you have to say, okay. And then He can lead you. That's the only way. Now, here, let's look at it again. If you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. You are not under the law. Now, why is he saying this? He's saying this because it's a difference between people who are saved and people who are not saved. People who are still in their sins. Okay? And here's the difference. The acts, verse 19, the acts of the sinful nature are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity and debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions and envy, drunkenness, orgies and the like. I warn you and did before that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. Now, what is he talking about? Those who live like this. Is he talking about believers? Or unbelievers? Unbelievers, unbelievers right? Uh, believers are not any of these things. These are people who are living under the control of their sin nature. What are we talking about here? Behavior. Behavior. How Christians conduct themselves. And Christians... Go ahead. Sure. Pastor um, mm-hmm. when it says uh, under the law, do they mean um, like we could, not, we could uh, live by the... Uh, by the uh, by the spirit, mm-hmm. but by 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 the law, we could not live by the law because we couldn't keep the law. And but leading, letting the Holy Spirit lead us, we can we can we can uh, we can 
we can accomplish what we are what, what, what we are going um, seeking, right? Well, I think what this is saying, Larry, is um, that when it says here in verse eighteen, but if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Well, unbelievers can't be led by the Spirit. First of all, that's an impossibility for an unbeliever. He, he, there's no option for him, is there? No. I mean, he's stuck. Can't. He, he, what's he going to do? Let's read it again. <laughs> That's what he's going to do. See, so the whole thing here is about conduct. So, how are you going to walk as a believer? Don't you want to see? Don't you want to take advantage of the power that God has provided you as a believer? See, unbelievers don't have that option. So then he goes and describes what unbelievers are like and what are some of the things unbelievers do. And he doesn't want you to conduct yourself along those lines anymore. You did like that at once, but now he's trying to tell you there's a new way of life that he wants you to live. Not like the old way. Now the law, when it says under the law, it means under the condemnation of the law. We're not anymore. Why should we act as though we are? See, and you have the opportunity. We just read it a couple of times. Well, if you lead led by the Spirit, you will definitely not fulfill the lust of the flesh, right? Because the, the flesh desires one thing, and you can't do what you want. So people are confused when it comes to trying to live the life because they're trying to. They still want to go and obey the lust of the flesh, and at the same time, they're believers. God says you you can walk by the Spirit. You can be led by the Spirit, and you're not under the law. See, so and we know that he's talking about this because he says the same thing in Corinthians. Let's look at it, First Corinthians six, which is even more clear. First Corinthians six. Glad you asked that question because many people will use the same thing. It's all about conduct. Conduct. How do Christians act? What's the power uh, that Christians use to live the Christian life? It's the power of the Spirit. And if you don't know that. You're going to be walking around trying to conduct yourself like you were when you were in Adam. So he says in 6, 9, and obviously here it's a matter of conduct again. Do you not know that the wicked or the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? It's 1 Corinthians 6, 9. Now why is he telling believers this? Because they were doing and acting just like unbelievers. If you read prior to that, they were taking each other to the courts and suing each other. They were make, and taking to unbelievers and letting the unbeliever decide between two believers. Now, how was that? He says you should just you might as well just be wrong. That's better. So then he says, verse nine: Don't you know that the wicked or unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? When it says not inherit, he's saying really they don't have any inheritance in the kingdom of God. They don't. So he says. Um, don't be deceived. Uh, neither sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor male prostitutes, nor homosexual offenders, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor slanderers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. That, that's pretty common uh, to understand. That's, those are things that the sin nature, and the two lists are basically similar. Uh, Eleven. And this is what some of you were. So, so he's not calling them that. But why is he using these, this list with believers and warning them about this? Because they were trying to live like that. And he's saying, you've got a different power that you're living under. Galatians is telling you that here's the power that, that you get to live the Christian way of life. Corinthians is dealing with conduct as well. But he's telling you, but what? But at the And such... And that is what some of you were. This is verse 11. But you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. What do you mean? These people who are taking each other to court? These people who are, can't even judge in trivial cases? You know, are these the same people Paul's talking about that are washed? The same people that are justified? The same people that are sanctified? Yes, these are the people. But that's how they were conducting themselves. Paul's embarrassed about them. He's embarrassed to, to have to write this to them. And yet, they were conducting themselves just like unbelievers. It's just like what we read in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. If you go back a couple chapters. He says, Brothers, 3.1 I could not address you as spiritual, but as worldly. 
mere infants in Christ. He's ashamed of these people. He says, um, I gave you milk, not food, for you were still not ready for it. In other words, uh, he had to give them milk, but they really should have been had uh, ready for milk, meat, but they were still needing milk. Indeed, you are still not ready for it, uh, still not ready. You are still worldly. And that word worldly means carnal. Carnal. And carnal means fleshly. Meaning you, you, you are living by means of your sin nature. That's how you're conducting yourself. And he says, are you, not, are, are you not worldly? For since there is jealousy and quarreling among you, are you not worldly? And are you not acting like mere men? Aren't you? Really? That's what he said. Aren't you doing that? Sure you are. Are these people saved? Absolutely. But look at the way they're conducted. They're certainly not conducting themselves from the power and the filling of the Spirit that we just talked about. They're conducting themselves from the standpoint of the sin nature. That's the power they're under. That's why there's all these jealousies and quarreling and bitterness and fighting. And that's why over in, he gives these lists to show you that these people who live like this, they don't have an inheritance in the kingdom of God. You were washed. You were saved. You were justified, sanctified in the Holy Spirit. So why are you living like those people? Don't live like those people. So, so that's what he says in Galatians 5. We're back to that. So he gives you the opposite of how the believer. And we want to make sure we cover this. Verse 22. They will not inherit the kingdom of God. Unbelievers. There's a clear distinction between unbelievers and believers. And that is, believers are saved and they have the indwelling of the Spirit. They are born again. They have the, and they have the opportunity to have the filling of the Spirit. The opportunity to have the filling of the Spirit. But just know that the two, two influences are going to... One is going to lead you, if you're controlled by the sin nature, it's going to lead to debauchery, which is indulgence, excessiveness in the sin nature. Well, the other is going to lead you to righteousness, to conduct yourself according to truth. Righteousness. So he's given you both. Does everybody understand that? So let's look at verse 22. But the fruit or the evidence or result of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Isn't that interesting? All of those are the fruit or the result of what the Spirit motivates you to do when you're influenced or controlled by it. By Him, I should say, not it. Oh, the, I, I'm sorry, did I... I skipped, I'm skipping around, man. You got to really keep up with me. It's um, Galatians, back to Galatians where we were. Galatians chapter 5, verse 22 now. See, now we already talked about the acts of the sinful nature are obvious. They're apparent because you can see clearly, you know, what the conduct of a person who is controlled by their sin nature, this is what they do. Now, he's given you all that to show you that that's not how we are to conduct ourselves. Then he says, verse 22, But the fruit of the Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit. Now, what do you mean the fruit of the Spirit? He's talking about the result. Fruit is a result of something, a, a mature tree. A tree that can produce fruit is, is, is a benefit. That's what the tree is supposed to do. Supposed to produce fruit. But the fruit or result of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. All of Go ahead. Mr. Professor, you know that I know this, uh, uh, what you say, uh, uh, to the fruit of the Spirit, it all falls around one thing. You know, it's not too far, too far away from each other. You know, with love, you know, love, kindness, and everything, mm-hmm. it just... It's not a big thing where you have to, like they say, God, you know, it's not, it's not as hard as we, we make it to be. It's all balled up in one thing. Love, kindness, and all that. Because I was going to ask you, I was going to say, Pastor President, could we do uh, maybe one or two things and still be on the right track? You know, not keep them all and, you know, like have them all. And right, happy. right. But it, it's hard to, you know, it's hard to go anywhere else. If you got one, the rest will follow. Yeah, and I want you to. I'm, I'm glad you mentioned that because I want to emphasize a point from that. What you just said, 
the fruit of the Spirit is what? See, here's what people do. They look at these things, and they got them on posters, and people are looking at these as if, you know, wow, we just practiced this. It was love, joy, peace, joy. Be happy. Smile. Love. Oh, be loving to everybody. Just tell you know everybody you love them. And so turn to the person next to you and say you love them. And then, you know, all the things like that. People think, well, I'm fulfilling. I'm, I'm having the love that it says I'm supposed to have. And joy, you know, hallelujah. Raise your hands, right? And this is, you know, be joyful. And even if you don't feel like it, praise the Lord. You know, they think, you know, that's, oh, I have the joy of the Lord. And all these things, patience, peace. Right, people practice these things to think, oh, oh, this is the fruit of the spirit. Wrong. That is not the fruit of the spirit. You don't. You know what you're doing? You're executing. You're trying to execute the Christian life in human power. You know the power that causes this. See, you don't focus on these things. That is result. Fruit is what the result of what the filling of the spirit. We need to focus on the filling of the Spirit. He never told you to make sure you try to manufacture these things, did he? He said, here's what you do. You walk, can live your life by means of a power. The power of the Spirit. That's the difference there. The power of the Spirit will cause you to have that result in your life. So people don't look at what they do. is They look at the result and they say, well, all I have to do is just do these things. And they grit their teeth, no matter how they feel, and they do it. But they're doing it in human power. And that is not the true joy or love or peace that comes from the power of God. We have to make sure we understand that. And it's just like with your sin nature. All you do is have to be under the control of your sin nature. And what's going to happen? You're going to naturally have the manifestations, these results that you just read. Now you're not an unbeliever. But if you yield to that sin nature, remember, it is up to no good all the time. And if you give your, your free will to it, it is not going to take you anywhere nice. It's bad. It's a bad situation. But, but that doesn't mean you're an unbeliever. Because unbelievers, they don't have a choice. That's what they do all the time. They are characterized by these things. Drunkards. Swindlers. Drug, uh, drug addiction. Uh, you know... Uh, you name it, all the different things, uh, debauchery, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred. All these things are characteristic characteristic of the sin nature. People who are indulged and given to the sin nature, that's what they do. All of those things. But you, believer, don't have to. You don't have to function under that. So, these are the results of the spiritual life. Now, these results will be in your life if you are given to the power of the Spirit. That means you have to yield to that power. Remember that yielding is an influence, is a power, and you are led. It's almost like you. Somebody says, "You want to go to you know down down the road with me?" And you say, "Sure, I'll go." So what do you do? You get in the car. Then you're going down the road with that person. Now that person may be you know driving a hundred miles an hour. You are going at the power and the speed that that person drives. It is not okay. Let's go down the road, and you have to, you know, run down with the car with that person. You're on the side. No, you get in the car, and he drives you down the road, and that's the power of the spirit. When you are yielded to that power, when you give your free will over to that to conduct your life, to live your life according to his principles, then he takes you down the road. You don't have to worry about trying to get down there. The result of doing that. You will get down the road. It's like getting on a bus. Where are you going to end up? You're going to end up down the road. That's the bottom line. So, and then watch this. Against such, there is no law. See, the person who um, is walking by means of the Spirit, they're not under the law. The person who is, who is, uh, who is saved is not under the law. But there is, a, there is an interesting thought. Because even though a person can be saved, right... And, and they're out from under the law as far as condemnation is concerned, they will look like they're under condemnation because they're indulging in the sin nature. Now, the law governs over everybody who's under in the flesh. It just governs over them. Now, but it doesn't govern over believers because they're saved. They're delivered from the law. They're delivered from the sin nature. So, if, so, so it's really a situation that you put yourself in. You say, well, I'm saved, but I'm out here sinning. You know it's like a fish out of water. You know that's not... You, you know you're not right. 
and, and God the Holy Spirit comes and He doesn't just let you stay in that state. He convicts you. He, he tries to get you uh, to understand that the, the, you know, what you've done. And, and that sin, he, he brings it so that you are face to face with the reality of what you're walking in darkness. And he says what? How do we recover from that? There's almost nine, so we might as well talk about it. Or now we'll save it for next week. But we've got to say it because I don't want people to, to think a, a whole week, you know, what's the solution to walking in, in this first John? First John, we're going to read. There's two verses, 1, 7, and 9. We'll just go over them and briefly. But next week, we'll talk about it because we need to know exactly how to walk in the Spirit, how to yield ourselves to the power of the Spirit. And there's some definite things that we have to make sure we know. But just today, just so you can have this to go back and think about it, it is 1 John 1, 7 and 1 John 1, 9. It allows us to when we have gotten to the place where we're out of fellowship or out of uh, step with the Spirit to get ourselves back under that power. So 1.7 says, But if we walk in the light... Now, we might as well read 1.6, which says, If we claim to have fellowship with Him and yet walk in darkness... So now, we have to say, fellowship is a result of the being filled with the Spirit. Right? Filling with the filling of the Spirit is a state where we are influenced by the Spirit, but influenced to do what? Galatians 5.16 So I say then, live, conduct your life by means of the Spirit. This is the normal Christian life. And, and the result, one of the results of the filling of the Spirit is you will have fellowship with the Father and with the Son. Who facilitates that fellowship? The Holy Spirit. He's the one who facilitates the fellowship that you have with the Father and with the Son. Okay? So, if, you, if we claim to have fellowship, that means we just allege, we might not really have it, we just say and we do, and yet walk in darkness. Walk means conduct ourselves according to what is not true, what's darkness here related to the sin nature, then we lie. Why, why does it say we lie? Because we are, what is lying? Misrepresenting yourself. Because if somebody tells a lie, they are, they are not being truthful, obviously. But what it really is saying is, I'm one way, but I'm, I don't want to appear that way to you. I'm going to tell a lie. Right? We tell lies for all kinds of reasons. Get out of things, make it easy, fear. A lot of different reasons why. I'm, but we misrepresent the truth. The truth. What's the truth? Truth is you're a believer. And you're filled, you, I mean, you have the indwelling, all these things are true of you and a believer, but yet you're conducting your life like you're in the sin nature. And, and here's a, an example of a person saying that they're walking in fellowship with the Father and the Son, and they're really walking in darkness. Well, what happens? What's the result? Well, that person is misrepresenting the truth. We lie and do not live. Live means conduct ourselves, or live, or walk. Remember we said, by walk by means of the Spirit, and you will definitely not fulfill the lust of the flesh. This person will not, they are not living by means of the truth. It's going to be important next week when we talk about the truth and the filling of the Spirit. Because remember we talked about we are being led somewhere, the Holy Spirit is leading us. What is He leading us into? What is He motivating us to think and to do? We're going to talk about that next week, but it's going to be related to truth as it is here. So it says um, that we lie and do not live by the truth. That we do not live by the truth. So we misrepresent what is true. But verse 7, if we walk in the light, walking in the light, what's the light? The light consists of all goodness, righteousness, and truth, says Ephesians. Goodness, righteousness, and truth. That's according to the fellow, what we know to be true. As He, who's He? God the Father and God the Son is in the light. We have fellowship. How do we know God the Father and God the Son? If you read earlier, it says in verse, uh, I guess it's 3, we, we proclaim to you what we have seen and heard so that you may have fellowship with us. And our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. So when it says down here, 
But if we walk in the light as He is in the light, who's that? Who's that? He referring to the Father and the Son. Then we have fellowship with one, with one another. Who's that? Us and God the Father and God the Son are having this fellowship. And the blood of Jesus, His Son, purifies us from all sin. Well, there's results by walking in the light. One result, well, you will have fellowship. Second result is that you will be purified, continually purified from all sin and unrighteousness. But then, if you skip down to verse 9, there's another condition that says, if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Now, a lot of people emphasize the result on this one instead of the means. What are you called upon to do here? People read this and walk away saying, yeah, you got to ask for forgiveness. Does it say ask for forgiveness? It doesn't say anything like that, does it? What does it say? Verse in one nine. What are we to do in this verse? Confess. Simple as that. And say we ought to ask for forgiveness. Why do people walk around saying you got to ask for forgiveness? <laughs> forgiveness is what we receive. It is not what we we are commanded to do. What are we commanded to do? If we confess our sins, He's faithful and just to forgive us. That's what God does as a result of us confessing our sins. It is not the means of us. And what is this forgiveness? This forgiveness means that He will restore fellowship to us. If you look at the context, that's what it means. So, it's about nine. and So, next week we're going to finish, we should be able to finish the filling of the Spirit. Because, you know, we've, we've covered the introduction. We talked about the filling of the Spirit is the normal Christian life. It's the normal Christian life. You're supposed to be filled with the Spirit all the time. When you're not filled with the Spirit, you are malfunctioning and operating under your sin nature. You are under one influence or the other. You're either under the influence of the Holy Spirit or you are under the influence of your old sin nature. You cannot mix the two. You are not 50% filled with the Spirit, 50% controlled by the sin nature. Each state is an absolute state. And you, you know, either you are 100% filled with the Spirit or you are walking in darkness and filled with the sin nature or the works of the flesh. So this is the normal Christian life. And we have talked about the power that is associated. It is a power. And that influence is a power. It is an influence over you to, to, to cause you to think and to act a certain way. We gave you the scriptures, Ephesians 5.18, 5.16. Those are the major ones. But as you see, we went quite a few other places. And we also talked about the fact that the Holy Spirit causes us, it, it motivates us, it motivates. And so, so in other words, God gave this righteous nature to you, but He didn't just leave it at that. He said, oh, I'm going to make sure that I give you the motivation or the desire to will and to do his good pleasure. And he, he does that. He caused, That is built into the new nature. Just like you know, when you sin, lusts and the cravings of your sin nature are built into that old nature. So we're going to discuss more next week on how the rubber hits the road. How do you maintain the filling of the Spirit? How do you maintain it? How do you keep it? Now some people when they talk about the filling of the Spirit, we also want to address the fact that they think it is speaking in tongues. Right? So if you're filled with the Spirit, they think, well, then automatically you're going to speak in tongues. Well, that is not what the filling of the Spirit is about. We're going to discuss that next week. So also, so you make sure you, if you are one who believes that, make sure you bring your scriptures so we can discuss it. That says that the filling of the Spirit is speaking in tongues. It is not. I'm just, that's my, where, where I'm coming from, and I'll show you where I'm coming from next week. So, just so you have, um, and, and that's why I'm saying, I'm only bringing this up because some people, will, as soon as you say the feeling of speaking in tongues, you know, it's not it at all. That's not where we're coming from. You notice I haven't mentioned it all night because that's not what it's about. But we will discuss those scriptures that cause people to think that the feeling of the Spirit is speaking in tongues. We'll discuss it. So next week, we can't do everything in one sitting. 
Why don't we stand? We're going to close. I would say, do you have any questions? But I think the time has come for us to close. So let's bow our heads. Father, we are so thankful for these ministries of the Spirit. Lord, as we visit them again, you have uh, illuminated the Scriptures even more. And we begin to see now the dynamics of the spiritual life. All that you have put into it in perfect wisdom, giving us such complete care and comprehensive uh, direction and instruction that, Lord, we, you have looked behind us and you have looked before us, everywhere around us and, and enveloped us with great wisdom and your love. You have provided for us completely. There is absolutely nothing that we need or that we lack for the spiritual life. For you have given it all graciously. So Lord, as we stand here, we want to make sure that these things, especially concerning the filling of the Spirit, are, are belong to us. That we own these things. That we study these and understand exactly what you mean when you tell us to be filled with the Spirit. So Lord, as we leave today, we challenge us by what we've heard. Give us wisdom to pursue this out for ourselves so it becomes a reality in our own souls so that we might walk by means of the Spirit and we will certainly not, definitely not, fulfill the lust of the flesh. Lord, I know that if we yield ourselves to that power, we will produce that fruit that is desired. For this we ask in the precious name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. 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 We will continue with the filling of the Spirit next week.